Warning. 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 The following program contains spoilers. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the all-new Midwest Movie Maniacs. I'm Damian D. And I'm Ricky G. That's right. New co-host. The other co-host wasn't quite working out. Had to make some changes. I think everything's going to be a little bit more upbeat now. And so uh, we're not going to waste a lot of time talking about that other guy. We're just going to move ahead. So today, Ricky and I are going to be discussing the 2021 movie Candyman by Nia DaCosta and Jordan Peele. Oh, yeah. Let's talk some Candyman. Hey, who's that at the door? What the fuck, Mark? What are you doing here? Seriously? I friggin... I, I show up and you're in here with Ricky Glore, the friggin' whore? Dude, that's my microphone. Get your hand and get your filthy little whore mouth off my microphone. Oh, hey, 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 man, hey, hey, no, 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 no. You, uh, you don't come in here with a knife, okay? Uh, you are not taking my place. Get your ass out now, Ricky, or I'm going to fuck you up. I, I think you and I can maybe talk this out. Uh, no, Ricky. Maybe maybe we sit down, have a have a cup of coffee, and we, we, we talk out the anger instead of working out our angst through weapons, man. Stop being a friggin' two-time little tramp and get the fuck out of here, or you're gonna regret it. You got that stabby look in your eyes and oh, oh. Goodbye, Ricky. Oh right, right in the gut. You got me. Oh, 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 I think you hit my pancreas. Oh, a lot of blood. Oh, it's a geyser of blood. Oh, oh, it's everywhere. Oh, the amount of blood that you have, you can make a Candyman painting. I'm All right, now start this shit over and play the right fucking music. They're here. I guess everyone's entitled one good scare, huh? <laughs> Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. They're coming for you, Barbara. Oh, uh, hey, what's up, everybody? Um, welcome to Midwest Movie Maniacs. Um, I'm Damian D. And I'm Mark Storm, not Ricky Door. Hey, shut up over there, you little bitch. Uh, anyway, um, t- uh, well, as you already heard, uh, the movie that, that we'll be discussing today is the 2021 Candyman. Um, what did you think about this movie, Mark? Well, I'll be completely honest with you. When I first watched this movie, I absolutely fucking hated it, which we'll delve into it a little bit later as far as what my expectations were and why I despise this movie so much the first time watching it. But at your request, I went back and rewatched it, and it significantly changed my opinions on this film. And I actually enjoyed it 
quite a bit more the second time around. But yeah, the first time I thought it was a piece of fucking garbage, like Ricky Glore. It, so in other words, uh, you put your Tony Todd boner away and watched the movie with a fresh set of eyes and realized it wasn't garbage like you originally said it was? It would be like making friggin' Night Run Elm Street without Freddy Krueger being played by Robert Eagle. It was friggin' bullshit. That's the way I felt initially. Now, after rewatching it, I processed it a little bit differently, even though you tried to give me spoilers going into it as far as what to expect. I still didn't quite completely comprehend exactly what I was getting myself into. So, yeah, I took the second go around to find a new appreciation for this film. Right. Just for the record, they did make an armor on Elm Street without Robert England, and it did suck. But the difference was in that movie, the guy was playing Freddy Krueger and the movie overall sucked. In this movie, the new guy's not playing Daniel Robitaille. It's a different person, a different Candyman, and the overall movie doesn't suck. So once you watched it the second time, realizing that they didn't replace Tony Todd in the same character, I think that's when you found a newfound appreciation for the movie. Right. Well, I mean, as you're all, as you're well aware, Candyman is absolutely my favorite horror movie character. And so having to go through the entire movie without the signature, I can't even do it. I mean, I have a deep voice, but I don't have that Tony Todd voice, that signature voice. And fuck you because my voice cracked. Okay. You're a bitch, just like Ricky Glor. Anyway. Uh, okay. So, but yeah, I mean, even in, I mean, spoilers. Okay, heads up, spoilers. Even in the last 30 fucking seconds when we finally get Tony Todd in this movie, you still don't hear the signature hell and, you know. Now, granted, I didn't, you use a wrestling term, I didn't mark the fuck out when he dropped the signature line of I am the writing on the wall and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not going to go through the whole spiel. But yeah, I did absolutely love that. And the fact that you get Tony Todd and the voice, which is one of the things that made this character. Now, don't, don't get me wrong, because the, the guy that played Anthony McCoy, I mean, not to give too much away, but I mean, he was in great shape and he was a very imposing individual but let's face it tony todd is like what six 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 eight uh, i'm guessing because i don't have the numbers in front of me right now but he's a very large imposing menacing man and so i think that was part of my problem was that i feel like that was stolen from me because that's part of what made the character but anyway but anthony wasn't even Candyman. i mean the the Candyman we see throughout the movie was a different person completely. It was, well, what was his name? Sherman, Sherman Fields. That was the Candyman that we were seeing. And yeah, that wasn't Tony Todd, but that Candyman that we had, I don't think he ever spoke a word. No, I, I, I don't believe he did either from the point that he first stepped out of the laundromat wall of candy in his hand and everything else. I don't think you ever heard anything come out of his mouth, but I don't know. I mean, I guess you and I observed this thing completely differently in certain aspects because when, um, what's this fuck? The uh, really obnoxious curator dude, I'm drawing a blank on his fucking name right now. I've got notes here and I'm not finding his name. Yeah, I just have him in my notes as art curator. I don't know. It was, it was, it was a little bit confusing to me when, you know, he was butchered and the girl was 
was butchered and whatever and the fact that it was kept cutting back and it kept cutting back and forth between them and anthony yeah that was that was created a little bit of confusion to me my perception was it was never really clear who whether it was uh sherman or anthony or who it was that was doing the actual murdering um and that was one of the things i actually enjoyed after watching the second time around was the fact that it, it's just happening. You don't physically see who's doing it. Right. Um, the funny part is like when the first time I watched it, that's what I hated about it was you didn't physically see it. But then when I rewatched it, that's actually one of the things that I loved. So yeah, it's just, it, it was kind of weird how it just completely changed my focus the second time I rewatched it. Well, I like the fact that you see Candyman, but only in reflections, in mirrors and in glass. Mm-hmm. So you would get a glimpse of him, sometimes even just like a real brief glimpse of just his coat, and then the person would die. And yeah, the person would look like they were being killed by somebody invisible. But a couple of times we did see the reflection in the mirror, and you could see that it was Candyman that was killing him. So I thought that was kind of a creative way to go about it, where you never actually saw him in the real world, just in reflections. Right. I believe that it was Sherman because like Anthony didn't have any idea what was going on. And then when he went to the laundromat and talked to William, William was telling him about Sherman. So that's why I I think the Candyman we were seeing throughout the movie up until the end was Sherman. And then at the end, Mm -hmm. everything changed. I kind of beg to differ on that one because um, what I have in my notes is the first time that Anthony goes and he basically goes to where Cabernet Green once stood and meets William is when William tells him the story about Sherman and the candy with the razor blades in it and how the police basically beat him down and killed him and whatever. That takes place before any of the murders actually happen. So he, Anthony was brought up to snuff on the existence of Candyman and and the situations before the murders, the museum or the murders of uh, what's her nuts, um, shit, uh, Finley. So, right. But okay, this is all about spoilers, and there will be a spoiler alert warning at the beginning anyway. But Anthony becomes Candyman at the end when William like does all that shit to him, and then the cops show up and shoot him. That's when he actually becomes Candyman. So that's why I don't think the Candyman that we're seeing is him because he's still very much alive until the end of the movie. That is true. So I think it was Sherman. And then at the end, Anthony becomes like the new Candyman. And the one thing that really signifies that, which also kind of confused me, was Candyman's invisible except for in reflections. But then at the end, after they shoot Anthony, all the cops see him when he comes out of the, the building. And that was one thing I was kind of confused. Like, why is he visible now when, you know, before he was invisible? The only thing I can think of is because he's a new Candyman. So maybe the Sherman version was only visible in reflections. And then the Anthony version is like real world visible, like the original Candyman was. Right. And then the thing I found interesting at the end is when Daniel Robitaille finally actually shows up. And I get my nut on. Basically, if I remember correctly, and 
this sound I feel foolish saying this because I watched it fucking twice. But I believe you just see the cops like dropping and dying and whatever. And it isn't until like you cut to the security footage at the end that like you actually see that it's that it's actually Daniel Robitaille portrayed by Tony Todd. But am I right on that though? Am I remembering that correctly? That it's like you just see you see the cops and like all of a sudden they're just like freaking dying and like getting gutted and slashed and everything else without seeing who's physically doing it. I believe we see him because the cops definitely see him because she goes out. They She's in the car and they remember she tells the cops she wants to see herself in the mirror. She says Candyman five times and then the cops outside all get their guns and they go stop freeze stop right there, which would mean that they can see him because he comes out and then I'm pretty sure the camera pans over and we see him and he's like floating towards the cops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know what? You're right. You're right. Yeah, and then he slaughters the shit out of all the cops except the one that's in the car. He gets out and takes off running, and then that's when the door opens. And she gets out. She wanders around. Then she sees him killing the last cop, and then that's when he floats over to the fence, and he's, his face morphs into Tony Todd or Daniel Robitaille, and then he just says, tell everyone. Mm-hmm. And then you know, And then that's the end. Because that's why I was saying, like, that was the only time when he was visible in the real world. Yeah. I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning. I don't know if you noticed this, but I noticed it. And I, at first, I thought there was something wrong with the uh, the version I was watching. Um, and if you saw the same thing I saw, then this will confirm that there was not anything wrong. Did you notice at the very, very beginning, like the MGM logo and everything were backwards? Mm, no, I did not notice that. Yeah, like the MGM logo and then the two logos for the company that made the movie, they were all backwards. And at first I thought like something was wrong. I thought, you know, I'm like, shit, this version's fucked up. But then the movie played fine. And so I believe that they were doing like a mirror image thing. You know, it was like because of the whole mirror aspect of of the movie. That would make sense. I mean, when I'm getting ready, when I'm sitting down to watch the movie and take my notes, especially like, during the opening credits when that's showing or this is a say for example a bad robot production or whatever or Lionsgate and they show that I'm not necessarily playing paying complete attention because that's not necessarily part of the movie or key plot line that I need to worry about so I'm making sure my pencil's ready to go the tablet's ready to go you know etc so yeah I mean, it very well could have been, and I just, it was not something I that was on my radar at the time. The MGM logo, you know, with the line and everything is like so iconic that I just immediately noticed it's backwards. I mean, everything is flipped. And then the next word came up and the word was written backwards. Like, I think it was Braun, B-R-O-N. And then the third one came up and that one was also written backwards, like a mirror image. Mm-hmm. So I totally thought that the movie I was watching had somehow been flipped. But then when the movie started, everything was, you know, the right way. Like when it said Candyman, it was facing the right way. So then I'm like, oh, that must have been like a creative choice that they made to flip all the logos over as if they were mere images of themselves. I I will tell you, though, interesting tidbit is I have a app that I use and I did a voice search for Candyman and the app failed me. And so... Cause it came back with like results. Like it was like candy space, man. And it was just like some weird, weird result. So then I did it again and it didn't come up again. And at this point I'm like, Oh fuck. No, Mm-mm. 
not doing this fucking, I'm not saying Candyman, and I think I'm uh, three right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying his name, over, you know, over and over and over again. So at this point, I quickly started typing it in, and I eventually ended up throwing in the towel and found it on the, uh, I believe it was Amazon Prime or whatever, like the early release in it. But yeah, I'm like, I'm not going to continue to tempt fate and call me silly, whatever, call it just a movie. But I'm like, yeah, I'm not saying his name five fucking times and not risking it. So yeah, I cut it at about uh, two or three. <laughs> I'm just going to get you to say it two more times before the uh, podcast is over and we'll find out what happens. Oh, so yeah. Then when my wife comes downstairs and wonders why I have not gone to bed yet, because I have to work early tomorrow morning, she finds my bloodied corpse down here. And yeah, you can have live with that on your conscience. So that's great. Yep, I'll be okay with it. I'll just call Ricky up. Oh, shit. Bob will never forgive you. Yeah, I fucking Ricky. Ricky. <laughs> Die, bitch. That reminds me. You uh, you were upset because you didn't get to hear Helen. But why the fuck would he say Helen when nobody in this movie is named Helen? You know what I mean. <laughs> He'd be like, Helen. And they'd be like, who the fuck's Helen? Uh, I, I mean, Anthony. Okay, okay, so just because we're on, on the topic of Helen, and I know we're kind of jumping around, um, just for those of you listening at home, we are kind of dicking with our format a little bit, trying to concentrate a little bit less on recapping the entire film and just touching on certain aspects. Um, but did you, was I the only one that noticed like actually a little bit of a physical resemblance between Finley and... Uh, God, I'm drawing a blank on her, blank on her name. The uh, actress that played Helen Lyle. Virginia Madsen. Virginia Madsen, that's it, yes. Um, am I the only one that picked up on the fact that there was a little bit of a physical resemblance there? Not saying the hair, because Virginia Madsen obviously had her like kind of kinky, curly hair in the, in the original. But just the physical traits, to me, they seem similar. Well, before I can answer that question, you have to tell me who Finley is, because I don't know anybody's names except for Anthony... Troy and Brianna. Those are the only three names I remember. So the scene where we cut, where Anthony has has his a uh, his work in the in the arch, the art, the art critic. Yes, and then he later on he visits her apartment and uh, he, he's sitting and talking to her, and she's in like the white pajamas and whatever. And later on, she's found dead, um, and her husband is they're like the prime suspect and whatever. That lady. Right, the art critic. The, yes, the art critic, exactly. The, the, the only note I have for her is the art critic is a bitch. Because I remember when they were doing the, uh, the showing and he showed her the mirror where he opens it and it's got the stuff in there and then she like said some bitchy shit. I don't even remember what she said, but it was like she was just being really unkind to him. Yeah, I think she made like comments that appear to have a little bit of a racially motivated overtone. Yeah, she said she said some shit about like your people are the reason why neighborhoods are gentrified. And then he's yep, like, what do you mean? And then she's like, artists, you you don't have jobs. So you have to get all the cheap apartments so you can survive or whatever. And I don't know. She just had like a shitty attitude. Yeah, very, very good. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much, you know, hit the nail on the head. But later on, when he's sitting down and like talking to her like in like he was to see her at her apartment or whatever. Yeah. She kind of appears to come around a little bit and it seems a little bit more kind and receptive to him 
you know, kind of lets her guard down a little bit. But right. And uh, to go back to what you said, I can see the resemblance. There was a there was a resemblance with her and, and Helen for sure. Um, also, did you notice her death? Because it kind of happens far away from the camera. No, I didn't notice it either time. And the second time, like watching it the second time, I knew that she was going to die. Obviously, after hearing it the first time that they were like, oh, well, Finley was found dead, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, I was prepared for the second time around, but I still didn't pick it up the second time. What happened? Well, okay. He leaves the apartment and the camera's like panning back away from the building. And if you watch, like as it first starts to pan back, you see Candyman's reflection in, I think it's a mirror in her apartment. And then her body like lifts up off the ground. I mean, imagine like Undertaker's choke slamming her, right? Lifts her up like that. And then she slams into the sliding glass door and smears all the way across from one side to the other, leaving it like a smear of blood. Motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like a 48-hour rental, and we're sitting at 72 hours, so I'm probably not going to be able to go back and watch it without dropping another 20 bucks to watch it. But yeah, I, I totally missed that. I wish I hadn't. Yeah, I missed it the first time, and then the second time, I was paying more attention, and when that shit happened, I'm like, holy shit. Like, she just raises up, and then smacks against the window. And then it's like he smears her from one side of the room to the other, like across the glass. And then she drops to the floor. And I was just like, that's fucking awesome. I mean, like special effects wise, they did a really good job. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the one thing about this movie is people always talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's not as gory as people think it is because your brain makes, you know, you kind of imagine a lot of gore. And that's the kind of thing with this. There's a lot of blood, but there really isn't a lot of gore. And the only thing I can even think of that's really gory is when he kills the girl, um, when the uh, art curator and his girlfriend both die and he slices her throat open. Yeah. And like you see her throat, you know, like that big gaping wound. Other than that, it's just like a lot of blood and a lot of implied shit. Like you think you're seeing shit, but really they're not seeing a whole lot of anything. Yeah. However, I, I will say that at the point that Clive, that was the, uh, the art guy. I'm looking at IMDb now. Uh, the point where he physically like slashes his Achilles, I like both times I fucking winced. I was like, oh. I don't know what it is. Like dating back to uh, the original, not that fucking bullshit remake, the original Pet Cemetery. You know, when I watch that, it's like anytime I see somebody's Achilles get slashed, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. They do it in Hostel as well. Yep. Yep, I remember it in Hostel too. But yeah, they they cut it, and then he he tries to stand up, and you see like the tendons separate, and then he falls down, and yeah, that's that's the one thing people always you know have their thing that they can't look at, and that's the one thing because I just imagine like obviously neither one of us has ever had our Achilles tendon sliced, but I just imagine like right now even thinking about it, I'm imagining what it must feel like, and it's it's skeeving me the fuck out. Right. Yeah. For those of you at home listening which I guess you're all at home listening. You're not, we don't have a live studio audience. Um, so I work, my side gigs, I work for the largest snack food company in the world and I do route sales for them. And one of the things that like when we're doing large grocery stores and stuff, the product that we take into those stores is taken in on large carts um, that carry like four stacks of like six, six feet high of, boxes of said snack food while these carts you pull them behind you and there's been on more than one occasion that one got away from me and ran into my achilles and i know how badly it fucking hurt 
Yeah. Uh, and my Achilles was not severed or anything. It just basically slammed into it, maybe scuffed it up or whatever. And, you know, scuffed it up is kind of downplaying it, but you know, it hurt, but I've never had my Achilles slash and I can just only imagine how excruciatingly painful that is. So yeah. Yeah. When that happens with Clive, I'm like, Oh fuck. I think that like hit me harder than pretty much anything else in that movie to be completely honest with you. Yeah, that was pretty brutal. I'm dying over here, man. You cut me too deep. <sighs> One thing, uh, right around the same time when all that's happening, I thought it was kind of a cool scene where we see Anthony and he like, there's like a bee buzzing around on the mirror. Mm-hmm. But then when he goes to try to tap on it, the bee is on the inside of the glass of the mirror. Yeah, it's very, it's kind of like a subtle, subtle effect, but very cool. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, I guess the implication there is like, you know, Candyman lives inside the mirror and then the bees are like part of Candyman. So it was like, I guess kind of Candyman's way of telling Anthony he was around. I don't know, because we see bees at a couple different times, like when the stupid ass girls go in the bathroom, was it, I think five high school girls mm-hmm. and they're going to do Candyman in the mirror. And then um, the one girl's in the stall she wasn't part of the game but she's in the stall when the other ones are being killed and then the little compact mirror falls on the floor and a bee comes buzzing up and like tapping against the mirror Mm -hmm. you know which that scene was an uh, was an example of a really brutal scene but not a whole lot is really shown right yeah and that's that's one of the things that i feel like this movie was more of a revisiting of like more classic horror movies because there's more left to the imagination. Uh, the movies that you and I grew up on, a lot of them were, you know, you don't necessarily see the violence that happens. You know, you, a lot of the things that frighten you is created by your imagination. Right. And a lot of the more new horror movies, they go straight for like shock factor with the amount of gore and stuff. So yeah, I feel like this was like a soft, subtle nod to, a little bit more discreet and okay sometimes what your mind creates is far more terrifying than what you know what you can see with your eye right so yeah that bathroom scene that was definitely one of those one of those instances yeah because there was i mean there's definitely a lot of blood like when the two girls are looking under the stall and you see like that huge almost a waterfall of blood slowly descending down to the floor so there's definitely blood but they didn't really show any gore like you didn't really see any of the bodies you just know these girls were all being murdered, like in you know very brutal fashion. Now, going back to that scene, that scene is one of the few scenes in the movie that created a little bit of confusion with me, because I feel like the style of the girls, like what they were wearing, and like their overall like hairstyles and appearance, kind of blurred the lines a little bit as far as timeline wise. Now, do you feel like that was real time or that was? It did nothing else indicated that it was a flashback, but to me, like I said, it just it made me question whether or not it's like, okay, is this modern times or when did this actually, you know, when this actually happened? I believe it was modern time because the main girl was at the art show. If you remember when he had his art show, the they show the girl standing there looking at the mirror, and then her mother comes up and says, Are you ready to go? Okay. She has the paper that says say Candyman five times or whatever. And then that's where she gets the idea to take her friends in the bathroom and do it. So those are like modern time girls 
maybe they were just doing like retro style dress or whatever. Cause you know, a lot of that shit from when we were younger is making a comeback. Right. A lot of the clothes and shit are coming back around. So I don't know. I'm not a fashionista, so I don't know about their fashion sense and what they, why they were wearing what they were wearing. But I believe it was modern time because we did see that girl at the art show. I, I guess I didn't necessarily remember that girl from the art show. I did because it, she stood out at the art show because they showed her and then she just left. And I'm like, well, that was kind of weird. You know, they, she didn't really seem to have a reason for her to be so significant. So then when they showed her again, I was like, oh, okay, this was why they showed her before. It was kind of like, hey, remember this girl because you're going to see her again later. And then we see her again later and she gets killed. So that's the only reason why, because I just noticed the fact that they made a point to put her on screen. And then I saw her again and I'm like, oh, same girl. There she is. But to go back to the like limited or no gore, that seems to be a thing that Jordan Peele does in all of his movies. Like he doesn't really focus on a lot of like blood and gore. This one obviously is more it's a slasher movie where the other two were more like thinkers, I guess, cerebral shit a lot. I mean, us, I guess it's kind of a slasher. It's slasher E, but it's like there's not a lot of gore in it. Mm hmm. And so I think that's kind of his thing. He's not wanting to splatter blood all over everything, which I can appreciate. I mean, obviously, you know, like I love the gory shit. I'm definitely a gore hound, but I appreciate when somebody can make a movie that they don't have to rely on gore to get their point across. Right. And that was one of the things that we talked about on our our last review when we talked about Hereditary was the fact that even in that movie, the gore was not necessarily in your face. It was select moments. Right. Which I feel like that definitely has more of a direct impact when you pick and choose your gore moments, you know, because I feel like in a sense, and I'm not one of those people that believes, oh, well, video games to horror movies desensitize you. So when I throw around the word desensitize, I don't mean it in that fashion, but I feel like if it's gore, 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 that certain scenes are not going to resonate as well as if it's like, okay, subtle, subtle, subtle. And then like this one moment, it's like, okay, holy shit, that was, you know, it really fucking, it really hits you. Right. But at the same time, I, I'm a fan of like gore and horror movies. I do find it to be quite enjoyable, but I understand the, you know, the aspect of telling a story and I appreciate that as well. So, I mean, it just depends like a good example is the movie Hatchet is basically a gore fest. It's like, you know, they were just going, what are the most over the top, bloody, gory deaths we can possibly think of? And then we'll kind of just write a story to go around them. And I enjoy the movie because it's just gore, 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 but it's over the top, ridiculous gore. You know, so it's like I enjoy it, but I know a lot of people just see that as unnecessary gore. And if that's not your thing, then, you know, that's fine. I don't I'm not here to judge. If you don't like gore, then you don't like gore. That's cool. But I can also appreciate a good story. Like, example, Candyman that that we're talking about right now. I felt like it had a good story, so it didn't need a lot of gore and over the top blood and all that shit to get its point across. Exactly. Speaking of stories. I liked the fact that at the beginning of the movie, when Troy was telling the story of Helen Lyle, um, it was told from the perspective of her being the killer. Um, because, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I would assume most people that are watching this movie have seen the original. And in the original, she was believed to be the killer because Candyman always made a point, you know, basically have her be around when people died. So then they would constantly be like, 
she must be the one doing it. So it only makes sense that when telling that story, you know, it would be told from the perspective of this woman was crazy and she killed all these people and then blamed it on this imaginary Candyman person. Right. Because, yeah, I mean, if this was something that actually happened, you know, the media and people in general would not have the proof that Candyman actually existed. There would be no physical or forensic evidence that backed up her case and proved her innocence. It would just be guilty until proven innocent type of deal. And there was no way to really prove that she didn't do it. So, yeah, the assumption was that it it was Helen this entire time. So. Yeah. Right. And and Candyman basically is just an urban legend, you know, so it's like nobody thinks he's real. Well, I can't say nobody because I believe Laundromat William definitely thinks he's real. Yeah. Yeah. Laund- Laundromat William is a definitely different type of animal there. So, Yes. Played very well by Mr. Coleman Domingo, which people who watch Fear the Walking Dead will know him from that show because I was listening to another podcast, which would be Dirty Little Horror. And, nice little side plug there. Yeah, well, they mentioned us, so I figured I'd return the favor. They were like, oh, I don't know what this guy's done. And I was like, dudes, watch Fear the Walking Dead. He's excellent in that show. But yeah, he did a good job of playing, like, basically the guy that's telling the story and kind of, you know, moving things along. But then he kind of takes a turn and kind of becomes the bad guy. Yeah. Kind of loses his mind at, at the end of the movie. Yeah, not necessarily. It's one of the uh, the twists in this movie that you didn't necessarily see coming was William and the way he kind of evolves as a character. And you realize, okay, yeah, William, you're kind of fucked up. Right. And then um, before we get to William's turn, um, I wanted to talk about the part where Anthony goes to the hospital. And when he's at the hospital, the woman says, welcome back. And he's uh, he's confused by that. And then she's like, you were born here. And he's like, no, I was born across town. And then that's when he finds out that he was lied to about where he was born. Mm -hmm. And um, this is when we find out the truth because he goes to visit his mother. And um, people that have seen the original will recognize his mother because uh, she was what was it? Vanessa Williams. Yeah. Um, Not looking a day older than she did in the original movie. No, she still looked very young in this. <laughs> yeah, because like, when when they showed her, I'm like, she's like his age. She can't possibly be his mother. Then I'm like, no, wait, she was in the original movie. She's definitely not his age. Yeah, this wasn't like a recast. This was actually Vanessa Williams. It was in the in the first movie reprising her role. So, yeah. Right. And then she tells him that the baby that Helen has at the end of the movie was actually her baby, which means it was him. And this, it makes me think that the whole thing going on here is Daniel Robitaille is trying to get him back because he took him in the original movie. I mean, you're the huge guy, so this would be something you might know. But is it ever explained why Candyman took the baby? Uh, You know, I'm, I'm blanking out on that exactly as far as what the exact reasoning was. But I do, I do know that at the point where Williams take William takes his turn at the end of the movie, it is because that was the baby that originally Candyman had chosen. And I feel like he was trying to complete that trying to think of the, the, the term terminology I, I want to use in this, but for lack of a better term, that was, that was the chosen one. That was the child that Candyman wanted. So I feel like that was part of the reason that William chose Anthony. Yeah. Because I think, 
he says something along the lines of like, I'm giving you back mm-hmm. some, something like he's basically giving him back to Candyman that he, he, you know, I don't know. I mean, this is one of the things where there were some things in the movie, what kind of didn't make sense to me. And this is one of them. Not that it, that part didn't make sense, but the part of like how by sheer circumstance they met, you know, it's like, what are the odds that you would just run into somebody that happens to be the grown up baby and then you're, you know, all these things just kind of fall into place. But I guess if Candyman, you know, original Candyman, Robitaille, was trying to get his hands on this kid, maybe he kind of guided it and made it happen. Yeah. But also, why did he wait so damn long? I mean, he had him as a baby. He lost him. And then he waited like 20 some years to go. All right. It's time to go back and get what's mine. So that part kind of confusing. But sometimes with these movies, you can't really overthink them. So then. um <sighs> Hey, shut up over there. Anyway, where were we? Um, Anthony tells Brianna that Candyman is real, and of course she doesn't believe him. And then I believe she wants to prove him wrong, so she starts to say Candyman into the mirror, and he smashes the shit out of the mirror. Yeah. And then she basically tells him, you know, fuck off. She ends the relationship. And then some shit happens, blah, blah. We end up getting back her, her and Troy, which is her brother, go to the apartment. And uh, they're, like, going to get her shit or whatever. And Troy, in the beginning of the movie, was, like, super nice. And then at this point, he's just, like, full-blown asshole. Because, like, they go in the apartment and he's like, we're here to get her stuff and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's talking a whole lot of shit, but Anthony's not even there to hear any of it. Right. And that's the thing that I found funny, not not to cut you off, but, like, I don't think Troy is full-blown asshole. I think he's gone full-blown protective brother. Well, because yeah, he feel like Anthony has kind of overstepped his bounds with his sister. Uh, I did find this scene somewhat amusing, right? Because Troy is very slight figured, and Anthony, you know, there's mul- there's a couple different scenes where you see Anthony no shirt on, and he's pretty pretty decent sized, jacked up dude. Right. And Troy comes in, he's like, "Oh, we're here, and we're gonna do this," and we're getting her stuff and don't you come down here. And like at 1.2, they talk about uh, when Brianna's telling the story about what he, what happened with Anthony, uh, Anthony or uh, Troy makes a comment about his boyfriend and he'll like, he'll whoop that ass or whatever. I'm like thinking, ain't neither one of you going to whoop this dude's ass, but okay. Right. So yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it was a little bit more, not full blown comedic relief, but I think it was to add a little tongue in cheek, like humor to it. Yeah, and I mean, that's what I meant. Like, when I say asshole, I don't mean, like, necessarily asshole. I guess, like, tough tough guy would be a better thing. Like, he comes in there, like, you know, being all badass, basically threatening. You know, the way he's talking is, like, I guess the assumption is that Anthony would be afraid. But I think if Anthony was there, he definitely would not have been afraid at that moment. Right. Um, But then uh, Brianna's, like, concerned because Anthony's not there. And she finds the pen that he had taken from the laundromat. And so she goes to the laundromat looking for him. And at that point, somebody grabs her, which I thought she had been grabbed by Candyman. But we find out pretty quickly that she was actually grabbed by William. Yeah, so one, one-eyed Willie. Yeah, one-eyed Willie. Wrong movie. Because this is when we find out that William basically... His intentions are to turn Anthony into Candyman because he basically wants to take back the legend of Candyman. And so um, we get the scene where I believe this was your favorite scene where he swiftly cuts his hand off with a saw. 
Yeah, my favorite part of the movie for sure, because I'm sitting there thinking to myself, it's like, okay, he literally took, what, four or five passes with a hacksaw to cut his hand off. I have a yard that has significant amount of trees and branches and whatever. And so it's not unusual for me to cut things off with a hacksaw and very small, slight, two inch in circumference tree branches takes far more than five swipes with a hacksaw. And it's portrayed earlier in the movie that Anthony is, Anthony apparently works out as very good sized guy because at one point, Troy tells him, he's like, put down the weights and pick up a paintbrush. My sister isn't going to support you forever, you know, whatever. So yeah, it's, and you see him with his shirt off. So he's got sizable arms. It's like, okay, you cut, managed to cut his hand off with five swipes of a hacksaw. And then not only that, easily with one stick, managed to stick the claw in his stump or not the claw, but the hook rather. Um, Yeah. Uh, hanging out posters as a kid, I freaking took me more than more than one attempt to push a push pin into a fucking wall, let alone a hook into a man's bloody stump. So that was a little bit like, uh... <laughs> right? You know, I mean, I feel like realistically, maybe they could have dicked with it a little bit more. Like he's like cutting, cutting. Maybe they, you know, they cut away to another, you know, another scene, something happens somewhere else, comes back. He's like, no, no, almost there. Hold on. Comes back a few minutes later. Okay. All right. I got it. And he's like, then he tries to stick the claw or the, excuse me, I keep saying claw, hook in the stump. And then it's like, okay. All right. Let me try it again. Okay. Just not just hold still. Yeah. There just wasn't enough realism in it for me. You know? Yeah. He should have like pulled out a hammer. Should like put the right. the hook up there and start hammering it in. Ting, 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 ting. Yeah, ding, ding, ding. And maybe at one point he misses and hits his thumb and fucking starts cursing or you know something <laughs> along those lines, just to make it a little bit more believable. But yeah, and I the other thing that blew me away in all seriousness was Anthony as he's getting his hand hacked away with the friggin' hacksaw. He's just kind of sitting there like, mm-hmm, yep. Did not seem like he was excruciating pain or anything whatsoever. It was just kind of like yep, this is what's going on, and I'm cool with it. Yeah, at at that point, I mean, he was physically there, but I don't think he was there anymore. That's one of the things I really actually appreciate about this movie. When I went back and rewatched it, was watching Anthony's very semi-rapid... Okay, I guess the word I'm looking for more is along the lines of methodical descent into madness and into the more of the Candyman character. Because in the beginning of the movie, you're first introduced to him as him and Brianna, his girlfriend, are hosting Brianna's gay brother, Troy, and his boyfriend. And he's like very receptive of Troy and his, and his significant other. And he just seems like very likable in conversations and very unassuming. And after the bee sting happens and... He, you know, he talks to William and whatever, you just slowly start to see him make this deep dive into just this completely different character. Like even the the scene in the in the art museum where he go he goes off on uh, Clive's friend or guest or whoever the dude is. And I know that's so- somewhat alcohol infused, but you just slowly see him start from this like really nice, unassuming guy to all of a sudden it's like, okay, yeah, he's not so nice anymore. He's kind of fucked up. 
And you really get the point across when they talk about Clive and his intern's murder. And he's like basically marking, to throw around another wrestling term, marking out for himself because his name is mentioned on the news. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, this is totally not the Anthony we were introduced to earlier. Right. But we, I mean, we see things that contribute to it. For example, the point when he's in the uh, elevator mm-hmm. where it's all mirrored and then there's like blood dripping from up above and he looks up, but the reflection he sees is Candyman. Right. And then he like falls to the floor and when the door's open, everybody's looking at him and he just kind of gets up and brushes himself off and tries to act normal. But it was obvious that something was going on. And so it's like, you know, you can see that he's slowly like descending into madness and, and you know, it's engulfing him. And, and even physically, we see, you know, the bee sting, it looks like it's infected, but then it's like starts to spread all the way up his arm and up, you know, the side of his face. And prior to recording, I had said that that, that kind of confused me. Um, but then I said I had a theory on it, which is it could be the, that, okay, we already know now that he was the baby. Right. And in the first one, the baby gets taken to the bonfire and like put into the fire, but you know, basically immediately removed. It, it doesn't actually get burned. But part of me was wondering if these weren't like the burns that would have happened manifesting themselves. Because it almost kind of looks sort of like a Freddy Krueger burn appearance, like the the way it looks almost looks like it might be burnt flush. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering if like his body wasn't manifesting the burns that would have happened if the baby would have been left in the fire. And this was like part of, you know, basically him transitioning into, well, basically into Candyman. I mean, we know he that's what ultimately happens to him. But that was one theory that I had as to what may have been happening. Right. And a similar theory, but slightly, you know, slightly different from the theory that I had, which was more of a direct nod to the original Candyman, Daniel Robitaille, and the fact that he was set on fire. So, yeah, I kind of made made the assumption, too, that it's like, okay, yeah, we're not necessarily seeing the direct reflection or the effects of a bee sting, but more burns. But like I said, mine was taken more literally in a direct tie to uh like i said danger rope tie that makes sense also because i i didn't even think about the fact that that was you know that they set robotie on fire and also that before setting him on fire he was stung by bees so it actually makes more sense when you think about the whole robotie scene initially stung by bees and then set on fire so then anthony gets stung by a bee and then his body could have been reacting as if he had been set on fire yeah. So it was like his body was basically reliving what happened to Daniel. So yeah, that's actually probably more likely than than the thought of you know what would have happened to the baby. So yeah, we'll go with that. We'll just say that's what it was. Okay. <laughs> um, one thing I did find interesting was as I'm. Uh... Oh, do you lose control of your bowels when you're dying because I think something's happening? Oh boy. Anyway. As I was doing my research, uh, anybody that's listened to this podcast before knows that one of the things that I like to do after I finish watching a film is I like to go back to I'm, I go like to go to IMDb and find little interesting tidbits about the film we just finished watching. And one of the things that I did find that I found intriguing was the fact that Anthony's name, Anthony McCoy, is said five times before he makes his complete transformation into Candyman throughout the film which i found uh, pretty interesting i did not pick up on that originally yeah i definitely didn't notice that because 
I mean, I just wasn't paying attention. I mean, in order for somebody to notice that, they either were watching the movie multiple times and trying to pick up on everything, or they just pay a whole lot of attention to detail, because I didn't catch that. Sometimes I think that maybe on occasion, some of these some of these movies, maybe someone that worked on set that had like insider knowledge possibly, potentially leaked this out, or you know, it was added at some point with somebody that had direct involvement with the film. Could be. Yeah, nonetheless, I mean, regardless of how this came about, I did find it like a very interesting part of the movie. And I'm sure it was intentional. Yeah. Uh, then one thing that we didn't mention before, the whole uh, stabbing, cutting off the hand, sticking the hook and all that stuff. Before that took place, we did have the scene where William called 911 and reported that there was somebody there, that basically... He was trying to kill them. He was trying to kill everybody. Or, I don't remember exactly how he put it, but he basically called ahead and let 911, let the police know shit was going down at the church. Yeah, basically set up Anthony to be gunned down by the by the police department, which right. going back to the incident with Sherman, which kind of set him off as Candyman, and the social injustice ties with this movie. Yeah, it was another, another tie-in, uh, what some people have a, a, I don't necessarily have this anger, but some people feel, you know, have some anger towards this movie because of the direct tie-ins with social injustice and police brutality. They feel like it was a political thing and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so all that does is add fuel to the fire in that situation. The fact that he's gunned down by the police and really unjustifiably, because right. like you had pointed out at no point had he himself physically done anything to anyone. Right. Uh, he was just kind of set up in this position to be this, uh, um, what is the word? Uh, shit. Blanking. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> the thing is, is like, I mean, if anybody's been paying attention to the news for the last year, this is a thing that has been happening. And it's, you know, it's a very real thing of people being gunned down by the police when they haven't done anything mm -hmm. to justify being gunned down by the police. You know, it, I mean, some of some of the things that have happened have been ridiculous to the point where, you know, people say, well, it's not a racial thing. It's not a racial thing. But it's like how many black men have been shot by the police. But yet there was an incident where a white man had a gun and didn't get shot. And then the chief of police goes on TV and goes, oh, I have to give credit to my officers for being alert enough to see that the gun wasn't loaded unless he was using a fucking six shooter. How the fuck could you tell the gun wasn't loaded? Right. So, I mean, it was clearly what he should have said was, oh, well, of course we didn't shoot him. He's white. Well, yeah, here's, here's an example. And we've kind of decided it's, you know, in the past that we really don't want to delve too much into the whole political thing. But you talked about the fucking the kid in uh, in Minnesota during the riots and everything that traveled to Minnesota with the with the assault rifle and, you know, had gunned people down and. The fact that he was taken into custody without incident and no, you know, not shot, not harmed in any way. Right. Uh, your school shooters, et cetera. Yeah. It's completely understandable why you're, you know, myself, you, and many other people are completely outraged with these instances. And so, yeah, I do feel like Jordan Peele did kind of have his finger on the pulse of the situation. And yeah, he probably did capitalize on that a little bit, but I do, I feel like the outrage is, you know, justifiable and the anger that some people have about the message in this movie. No, because I don't feel like 
full-blown political statement i feel like he did dabble in it and you know played off played off that a little bit but i don't think that was full intentions of the movie was just this whole big racial injustice statement throughout the entire movie that's not what it was intended to be right and also the original movie basically is the same situation i mean in the original movie uh, daniel robitaille obviously a black man was painting a white girl and they fell in love she got pregnant and then her family and you know multiple other white people were outraged and they killed him right and then you know he returned to get revenge basically so i mean the the storyline it's not like they made that whole thing up that was the story in the original movie as well was racially motivated murder creates candyman yep you know, I mean, what do you want them to do? They 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 followed the same basic storyline. They brought in elements of what's really happening in the world. But I mean, that's not unheard of. Most movies do bring in some reality. That's what makes the movies more believable where you watch it and you go, yeah, I can I can totally buy this because this kind of shit really is happening. Right. But either way, to get back to the movie after the hand sawing, stump cutting and whatever stump shoving we, we hear cops, we hear sirens, so we know the cops are on their way. And then Brianna manages to get away. She gets, she escapes and she takes off. William's chasing her. And then I thought it was kind of uh, ironic that when he catches up with her, she stabs the shit out of him with the pen from the laundromat. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, isn't that ironic? Your own fucking laundromat pen was what did you in, you psycho motherfucker. And then um, Anthony shows up and he collapses in her arms. He's obviously not in good shape. And at that point, the cops come busting in and no questions asked. They just start shooting, which it's like, you know, they I mean, how did they know anything? They just came in the door. Oh, there's a guy shooting. Pow, 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 pow. Then she gets arrested and uh, the cop is basically like, you're going to tell him that he attacked my officers and they shot him in self-defense. Or you're going to go to jail. You're either going to lie for us or we're going to take you to jail, even though she's done nothing wrong. I mean, at this point, she says, I want to see myself in the mirror. And he's like, uh, no. And she's, you know, if you want me to talk, let me see myself. And he turns the mirror so she can see herself. And she says, Candyman, Candyman, you know, five times, which I mean, if I was the cop, I would have been like, all right, turn the mirror back. I don't know what you're doing, but stop immediately. Because I kind of feel like, I mean, I get it. The cop is white, but you would think that the Candyman legend would be so well known that even the white cop would know it. Yeah, I mean, possibly uh, he could be completely ignorant to it. You know, not necessarily everybody has heard the, heard the story, heard the legend. Right. He obviously is because he lets her get it out five times. And then we get Candyman shows up comes out of the building and all the other cops that are outside of the car are yelling freeze 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 and they start shooting and then he comes up and just totally slaughters them all which as i had said before this scene kind of confused me for the simple fact that we see him and up until this point Candyman only existed in reflections anytime somebody was killed if you were looking at them it just looked like some invisible person was doing it. And then if you saw a reflection, you could see Candyman. Mm-hmm. But now we actually see Candyman existing in the real world. But like, I think it could be perhaps because this is a different Candyman. You know, this isn't Sherman. This is Anthony. So maybe in Anthony's version of Candyman, he's visible to the naked eye. Right. It could be that um, part of it could be the fact that pretty much every single time prior to this, every time Candyman was called, 
whoever called him ends up being his victim. Right. In this circumstance, in this situation, Brianna called him basically in a sense to do her bidding. And so she was, I don't know if it makes sense, but she was physically observing it and had brought him to do this. So I don't know if that was the reason, like she could physically see, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm like you trying to make sense of exactly why it was, but that's just maybe the change in circumstance as far as why you were, we were physically able, able to see it. Uh, but either way, I absolutely fucking loved it. Right. Uh, even though, like I mentioned earlier, I did like the fact that you, some of these murders were happening. You couldn't physically see what was happening. You just could see the damage being done. But the reward at the end that you actually get to see Candyman lay fucking waste and kick ass was just was cool to me. Right. And then, I mean, obviously she called him and that should have meant her death, but he would recognize her, even though he's Candyman, because like Daniel Robitaille still remembered things from his life. And so Anthony would still recognize, you know, this is Brianna. So he obviously wouldn't kill her because he would still love her. Right. You know, and so he kills the others. And then if I remember, is doesn't he open the door to the police car so she can get out? Uh, yeah, I, I believe so, because she actually physically sees him at the fence when he kill when he kills the last cop. So right. she's got it. She's out of the car at that point. So, I, yeah, I believe he like opens the door and physically like, in a sense, invites her out of the vehicle. Right. Because I know he floats around the car. Because the cop asks, I think the cop says, who are you or whatever? And he floats around the car and he, he makes his whole speech about, you know, being the darkness and the all the stuff about bloodshed and all that as he's kind of floating around the car. And then I think for a moment he, he disappears because the cop gets out and takes off running. And then maybe we don't actually see him open the door. Maybe her door just opens by itself. I know somehow her door opens because you can't open the backseat of a cop car from inside. Yeah. And somebody opens her door and she gets out and she goes walking. And then that's when she sees she comes up to that fence and she sees him killing the shit out of the last cop. And then he floats over to the fence. And then this is when you get your uh, Tony Todd boner moment because he transforms into Tony Todd and he just says, tell everyone. Yeah, that's the point where you finally, finally get the payoff. You get the man, the icon the person that you've associated with as Candyman through the entire franchise. So, yeah, I mean, I can't help it. I'm a total, total mark for Tony Todd. Uh, it doesn't hurt that, I mean, one is more of a supporting role, but he's in two of my all-time favorite movies, which is Candyman and The Crow. Uh, I don't know, Tony Todd is just a certified badass, and if I ever had the opportunity to meet him, I'd probably give him a handy. No, I'm kidding. And he's also in Hatchet. The, yes. that I mentioned earlier he's a, he pops up in that when they're wandering around in New Orleans they go into his little voodoo shop or whatever and he's like the voodoo priest type guy and, he, and so yeah he he pops up in a lot of shit but yeah I mean we get him at the end you get to see him there and then I did like how in this movie at one point before he went completely crazy when William was talking to Anthony he explains that um, basically there's multiple Candyman like uh, Sherman Field is part of the Candyman Hive, is how he puts it, mm -hmm. indicating you know that there's been multiple people that have been Candyman, which I thought was kind of a nice twist to the story, you know, a way of saying that anytime, well, maybe not anytime, but generally speaking, when somebody is wrongfully killed, they come back as Candyman, and then at the end, 
I just thought I just like how uh, the the shadow puppet stories they showed Robitaille's story, they showed Anthony's, and then they showed like the little boy on the bike, and they showed I think there was two other people, and then at the end it showed all the various Candyman's all standing together. I felt that the uh, the shadow puppets was actually a, a like a really nice touch. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was interesting because the movie opens with William as a child doing the shadow puppets. So the fact that the main antagonist in this movie ends up being William. And so the entire movie is laced with the, these shadow puppets kind of telling the story of Daniel Robitaille and Helen Lyle and uh, Sherman and basically everything else. So the fact that they continue to go back to that, I that was I felt like that was a really nice nod. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I felt like it added quite a bit. So Yeah. And then we get a few flashbacks. Uh, well, one in particular where we flash back and we see William as a kid. And I don't even know how many kids there were, but more than one kid is in the bathroom. Do you remember that? Where he goes and knocks on the door and they're like telling him to go away. Mm-hmm. And then they say Candyman. And he, he just hears a bunch of noise. And when he goes to push the door open, there's all blood there's everywhere. It's the door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he sees um, Sherman in the reflection of the mirror. Mm-hmm. And then and then he, I think he even says Sherman. So that would indicate that he definitely saw Candyman as a kid. I mean, obviously, Sherman, real life Sherman, because he came through the hole in the laundromat. But then after they killed him, he saw like the Candyman version of Sherman. Yeah. Which when they first showed that scene, I didn't re- like recognize it right away as Kid William. So I was kind of confused until it dawned on me. I'm like, oh, this is a flashback to Kid William and um, older kids doing the Candyman thing and then dying. Yeah, I, I want to say it was his sister that was doing the uh, Candyman thing in the mirror. Very well could have been. But overall, my initial thought was I liked the movie. And then upon a second watch, I actually liked it a little bit more. So that being said... I'm going to give this one seven and a half corn cobs because it wasn't perfect, but it was pretty damn good. And myself, as I had mentioned earlier at the beginning of the podcast, when I first watched it, I absolutely hated it um, because even though you had kind of tipped me off that Candyman was different people and that I wasn't going to get Tony Todd, I was not prepared for the fact that I was not going to get Tony Todd for the last 30 fucking seconds of the goddamn movie. Uh, <laughs> So I absolutely fucking hated it the first time. Um, yep. Just waiting, 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 and then waiting some more for Daniel Robitaille to pop up, and he did not. So yeah, I hated it the first time. Second time I watched it, I liked it quite a bit more. So I'm going to give it probably six and a half corn cobs uh, because it didn't bring it up that much more as I watched it the second time and really started to take in what I was witnessing and had a different vibe on my expectations. Uh, yeah, I felt like overall Jordan Peele did a really good job telling this story. The only thing that left me wanting was, I, like I said, I wish I had gotten more Tony Todd. I realized he's getting up there in years, and I did read that um, they digitally had to de-age him, right. which makes sense because it's like Candyman is dead. Candyman is not going to age, so it would make sense for Candyman to look older when you see him. But yeah, there was a part of me that just really wish that there there was more of him in it but yeah overall it was it was very well done and yeah like i said six and a half corn cobs yes i i definitely uh knew because you texted me very angry text messages about how much you hated this movie and then i pointed out to you then that i offered to give you a major spoiler which 
would have been to tell you that he shows up at the very end and you told me no. So ultimately it was your own fault because if you would have just said, yeah, go ahead and give me your spoiler, you would have gone into it knowing you're not going to get Tony Todd till the very end. And then maybe you would have had more appreciation for the movie instead of sitting there with your dick in your hand waiting for Tony Todd to pop up and then only to find out, oh man, 30 seconds. I didn't even have time to rub one out. Okay, yeah, so here, here's a here's a little little peek behind the curtain. Uh, yeah, I'm currently about 80% into the new Candyman, and I fucking hate it, so this will be interesting. And you said it looks like it'll be flip side of the hereditary. I'm not re- rereading the whole text, but uh, yeah, this will be really interesting because I don't know what the fuck I just watched ha- happen because I stopped caring about this movie about 40 fucking minutes ago. And then you have know, 30 fucking seconds. I got 30 fucking seconds of Tony Todd, fucking Todd, Tony fucking Todd in this goddamn movie. Fuck this. This movie totally did not want to make me pay a fucking attention. I want my goddamn money back. Give me my fucking bloody murder over this dog shit. <laughs> and then uh, just just to finish strong with uh, one of the one of the classic texts, classic in my opinion, because I'm gonna toot my own horn. I said Jordan Peele just came into my house in the middle of the night, took the money off my nightstand, and my dog is fucking pregnant. Full disclosure: I do not have a dog, but it was my way of saying that I feel like Jordan Peele wronged me. Uh, in hindsight, I will apologize to Jordan Peele because I did learn to appreciate your your work in this. And yeah, Jordan Peele, if you listen to this call, so we would love to bring you on the podcast to uh, to talk about this movie or whatever the hell you want to talk about. If you want to appear on this podcast, we can talk about Chad for breakfast, Jordan Peele, because <laughs> that would be a big game. much bigger than the now dead Ricky Gore. And you should also apologize to Nia DaCosta because you haven't even mentioned her. And she was very much a part of the writing of this movie. So she deserves some credit as well. It wasn't all Jordan Peele as far as the writing. He produced the movie, but she gets credit for writing. Okay, Nia DaCosta, call me. You can be on the podcast. Too. Right, we'll bring her on as well. And uh, I don't think Ricky's quite dead. I, I think he's still... I, can, I think he's still I can breathing. Shit. No, 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 no. You haven't killed anybody it. yet. Okay. You haven't killed anybody yet. So stop. I mean, we got to get this shit wrapped up because I do need to get him to the hospital to avoid you facing murder charges. So we're probably going to go ahead and wrap this up now. We are, uh, well, we've been recording for a while. I, we've had some issues, things that'll be edited out. So I don't know the exact time. This one I think is going to be shorter than most, but I don't know. But either way, uh, seven and a half corn cobs for me, six and a half from you. We both enjoyed the film. I think I enjoyed it more. Well, obviously, my score says that I enjoyed it more. But overall, glad I watched it. Yep. And uh, hopefully our next episode will come a little bit sooner because we do already know what it's going to be, but we're not going to say because that's kind of what we do. We'll just spring it on you when it comes. And with that being said, it's time to wrap this shit up. So uh, thank you for listening. You can find us on uh, social media, Instagram and Facebook at Maniacs Pod. You can email us at MidwestMovieManiacs at gmail.com. Any other links to any other shit that we do, you can find it in the show description at the link tree link. That'll take you to everything that you need to know about finding us online. With that being said, it's been fun wrapping this shit up. Let's get the fuck out of here. Goodbye, everybody. Say goodbye, nutsack. Goodbye, nutsack. Asshole.
Come on, Ricky, we gotta go. We gotta get you to the hospital. Come on, work with me here, man. Get in the car. Oh, hospital. Can they put all the blood that I lost back inside of me? I don't know, man. Hopefully, we gotta get you out of here, though, man. You, you're gonna make it. We gotta move, Ricky. We gotta oh, move. Why do you drive a Geo Metro? It's too small. I don't have a lot of money to buy a bigger car, man. I'm sorry. Let's go. It's such an old, small car. Oh, hey. There's my spleen. Pick that up and bring it with us. Maybe they can add it back to me at the hospital. I got it. I got it. Come on, get in the car. Okay. Shotgun. <laughs> I am the writing on the wall. Give in and be my victim. I will be so happy. 